The third word. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Hi, I'm Reverend Josh Lee at Imago Day Church, which is an interdenominational congregation in Peoria. Uh, today's passage invokes a lot of memories and thoughts for me personally in my own story of what it means to have a family and to be family to people. But I thought we would look first at kind of what it looks like for Jesus to have called Mary and this other disciple in whom he loves um, to care for each other in a unique way. Um, as the soldiers are playing games to try to win Jesus's clothes around the cross, Jesus is not thinking about his own possessions, but he's thinking about the fact that he's soon to take his last breath and his most prized possession, his mother, how will she be cared for? Uh, it's within t Jewish tradition that the oldest son was to always care for uh, the mother if the father was to pass away. And we don't really see much of Joseph in the life of Jesus, at least as an adult. We have a simple story of him uh, at, at Jesus' birth but and as they try to find refuge and safety during that time. But we don't actually see much of Joseph in the life of Jesus or in our writings or throughout much of church history. So it's clear that Joseph is gone, and so Jesus is the firstborn of the Virgin Mary. That makes most logical sense, even if she had had other children at some point. Uh, we don't know. History debates that. But it would have been Jesus' responsibility to care for Mary uh, if, as, as a widow. So because this is on Jesus' mind, he knows that he has an obligation to her. And so he basically calls this disciple whom he loves and Mary over to him, and he says to one another, you are family now. He asks this one whom he loves, it seems to be maybe the disciple whom he loved more than all the others, uh, to care for his mother in a unique way and to, and to allow them to live together and to be a new support system. Uh, it's interesting within the Catholic tradition, this is kind of understood that, that this was not the, the son going to care for Mary, but within the Catholic tradition, they actually believe that, that Mary was being called in this moment to care for the disciples, that this was an ecclesiastical moment, that she was somehow redeeming herself from her role at Cana that we first see when she directs Jesus to do something. And Jesus says, listen, you know, this isn't really your place. I'll do what I want when it's my time. That this is sort of a redirection of Jesus saying, you know, hey, actually now, Mary, as I go, I'm giving you power and entrusting you with authority over the disciples. I don't know whether that's the Catholic tradition or Protestant tradition that's going on here, but something beautiful is happening right here at the intersectionality of both these two humans who were not blood related, learning to care for each other and the idea of family being redefined. I think about uh, in this story, uh, how family, th this sets a precedent for how family is going to be redefined in the early church. I mean, uh, we begin to see a huge shift within the Christian church happen after Jesus' death. The Apostle Paul, who begins to rise to prominence during those first hundred years, uh, he begins to say that, hey, maybe everybody shouldn't be getting married. And if you can actually stay single and celibate and just dedicate yourself to the ministry and life of the church, then that's better. And so a huge shift happens from the, from the Hebrew scriptures where we're called to be 
fruitful and multiply. And all of a sudden, never again are we told throughout the New Testament to be fruitful and multiply. Instead, it seems that the Apostle Paul is encouraging folks to be single so that they would that the focus would not be on being fruitful and multiplying the earth, but instead being fruitful and multiplying the kingdom of heaven and those to whom are choosing to follow Jesus. The focus becomes less about being multiplying the earth with more humans and more about rebirthing the souls and the minds and the hearts of people who walked on the earth now. There seems to be a huge shift around the priority and the, and the picture of what family is, even into the point that during the persecution, when people would begin to convert to Christianity, it was very likely that their families would disown them and walk away from them, that their families would no longer acknowledge them and love them, that there, many times they'd be kicked out of their homes, and their new family became the church, those whom had also converted, and that they had to learn to depend upon each other, which is why we see in Acts multiple times when they're learning to sell possessions and care for the needs of others and making sure all of the needs are met because there was much loss in the community and much gain, and people learned to take care of each other like family, even though they didn't have the same blood that ran through their veins. I can't help but stop and think about this beautiful image of this reorienting of what it meant for someone to be family, that it wasn't just about blood, but that it was about something much deeper. It was about the Imago Dei, the image of God in all of us. It was about the fact that they were all choosing to follow Jesus and to love others well, that that is what bound them together in the end, not simply blood and flesh and bones. In my own story from my own life, I can't help but stop and think about my own um, grandma, who when my parents divorced when I was five, um, both were struggling. My mom didn't have the financial means to really uh, take care of me on her own, and my dad struggled deeply with alcoholism and drug abuse. And so my grandma opened her home to me and took care of me from five to nine years old. And she loved me and entrusted um, herself to me like she was my own mother. My mom was still very much involved in my life. My dad was very in and out, depending on if his addiction was taking control of him or not. And I can remember my grandma turning to me one day and quoting a, a proverb that said, God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widow. But the funny part about that proverb is my grandma never quoted the second part of it. She just always quoted the first part. She would say, God is a father to the fatherless. And she would remind me that God had placed her in my life to serve the role that my dad was not serving, that she would love me and care for me, and that I had nothing to worry about because she would always make sure I was taken care of. But later in my grandma's life, when I was in college, my grandfather passed away and my grandma did not know what to do with her life. She had her whole whole life was revolved around taking care of my grandfather and raising children and keeping a house. And she just began to not really know what her purpose was anymore. We spent a lot of time together um, after I decided to move in with my grandma, um, my one of my years of college in order to be there as a support and love her because she had been there for me in one of my most vulnerable times. And so I was able to care for her and I was able to finish the rest of that proverb, which was, which says, and he is a defender of the widow. And I was able to be there for my grandma in one of her most vulnerable and grievous times in her life after the loss of my grandpa. You know, I, I learned in a unique way that sometimes the roles and responsibilities that we each are given in our lives by our family units, that's not always the way things play out. And sometimes God calls us to serve people like a grandma serving me or me serving my grandma in unique ways that maybe were not the traditional roles, but that were healing and restorative. And throughout my life, I have had different people play roles that maybe my parents didn't always play. And they have loved me in ways that have been deep and abiding. My mom and my relationship has changed tremendously over the years, and I'm grateful for that. But, you know, I have had to learn to see that God provides for all of our needs in so many different ways that go beyond just simple family units of flesh and blood and 
beyond certain roles of man and woman and gender and responsibilities between ages. But it extends beyond that. It extends into the church. It extends into the images and faces of different people in our lives. And I think during this time when we're all facing fear around COVID-19 and the challenges that exist in our world today, I think we must learn to redefine what community means. We must learn to care for others just as Jesus called his disciples to care for Mary and for Mary to care for the disciples. That we must look past um, caring just for people who look like us or, or are part of our family units, but care for the broader body, care for our neighbor next door, care for the person down the street, care for the people in our church, care for the family member that we love and the ones that we just can't seem to uh, find the deep love and abiding joy in our hearts for. I think Jesus calls us in this story to see the Imago Dei, the image of God, the beauty of people in every single person we encounter, to not be stuck into certain ruts or boxes, but instead to extend the love of God to all people, to see that God is redefining what family and community looks like. And in that, I think that we can see God more clearly. I hope that you have a, hope, uh, a hopeful Holy Week and that you see God in yourself and in all those you encounter with one another. May you love others just as the disciple whom Jesus loved, loved Mary, and Mary loved the disciples.